Biden himself is not is not playing the blame game. He's saying this is on me. I own this. I think this is a good thing to do. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of America Explained, the podcast that brings the important voices and perspectives shaping American politics, foreign policy and culture to an international audience. So hi everyone, welcome to an episode of America Explained. I didn't intend to be recording this episode. Um, I was taking a bit of a break over the summer, a combination of me being really ill some kind of illness that had all of the symptoms of coronavirus, but according to every test, wasn't coronavirus. So I was knocked out for like a month, but without even getting to participate in the zeitgeist in any way, which is kind of frustrating. But I was also planning on taking just a bit of a break anyway and, and coming up with new episode ideas. But I really felt the need to uh, record an episode today because today is the day that Kabul fell to the Taliban. The Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan is back in business. The Taliban are back in Kabul in a lightning military campaign marked mostly by, not by fighting, but just by the wholesale surrender of the Afghan security forces. The Taliban have taken over the, the country in the last few days really rapidly, and they're in Kabul today. There's, there's chaos at the, um, Kabul International Airport. Everyone's trying to get out. The U.S. Embassy is frantically shredding documents. The U.S. Ambassador is fleeing. Um, Ashraf Ghani, the, the leader of Afghanistan, was reportedly hiding in the U.S. Embassy, and he has now fled the country. And even as someone who suspected that this war was always going to end this way, you know, to me, the speed with which this has happened has been really, really shocking. I did not expect this to happen so quickly. First and foremost, this is just a tragedy for Afghanistan. It's particularly a tragedy for women and girls in Afghanistan. I keep thinking about the fact that there are women and, and girls who've grown up in the last 20 years without ever knowing Taliban rule. They've experienced all sorts of freedoms, the ability to work in an office, to go to university, to be more liberal in their personal relationships, and all of that's about to be taken away from them. And as a father of a daughter, I, I just can't help but, but be so saddened by that. I still remember about 20 years ago um, when the US took over Afghanistan, invaded Afghanistan the first time, all these books came out that were kind of tell-all memoirs of the experience of, of young women in Afghanistan who'd grown up without the Taliban before the Taliban took over the country in the 1990s and, and what it was like for them when they did take over. I still remember pr probably my favorite one of these books was called My Forbidden Face. It was by a woman called Latifa. And I really was very affected by by these books and, and how terrible it was for women. And if you want some idea of what might be about to happen again in Afghanistan, I actually really recommend going back to My Forbidden Face by Latifa. You can still buy it from Amazon, get the Kindle version. Just to have some insight into what it feels like as a woman to have your country and, and your life taken over by, by these theocratic monsters. So I just want to preface this episode by acknowledging what a human tragedy this is. I'm going to get into talking about this as an episode in American politics and foreign policy because that's the subject of this podcast and I don't claim any special expertise in Afghan politics, so I don't want to spend too much time talking about that. But we should really recognize the magnitude of the human tragedy here. 
So as always, thanks for listening to America Explained. I hope you find this episode useful and, and enlightening. I know it can be hard as events are unfolding to get kind of day two analytical coverage, which is what I'm trying to provide here. If you like it, please share this episode. Tell a friend. Remember, you can always email me on producer at america-explained.com if you'd like to make a comment on something that I say in this episode. So... I think if we want to talk about what's happened today, then we have to start by talking about timing. It's my belief that this kind of end to the war was always what was going to happen eventually. I believe that the Biden administration also thought that eventually the war would probably end this way. So they made this decision to end American support for the Afghan government with their eyes open, knowing that a Taliban takeover would be the likely result of that. But if you listen to what the administration's been saying, they certainly did not expect it to happen this quickly. The intelligence assessments that they've released have talked about this happening within, well, they've kept changing actually. So at first they were talking about something like 12 to 18 months. Then they were talking about something like three months. Then they came down to a month and then it, it turned out that this happened within a couple of days. But, you know, the the administration, re- this has been shocking. The, the speed with which this has happened has been shocking. I think that all the indications are that it shocked the Biden administration. It shocked me. It shocked the American national security establishment. What the administration perhaps wanted, I think, was what is sometimes called a decent interval. This phrase comes from the Vietnam War, when basically the Nixon administration wanted to negotiate an end to the Vietnam War. In fact, they they did negotiate an end to the Vietnam War. But what they wanted to happen was there to be a period of time from the peace treaty and the American withdrawal until the regime collapsed, so that it wouldn't look like this happened in a chaotic way. It wouldn't look like as soon as the Americans left, the whole thing just fell apart. And so you you would just blame the Americans for that. It would really give time for the domestic regime, in this case, South Vietnam, to take ownership of the problem, attempt to tackle it, ultimately fail, but in a way which wouldn't make America look too bad. Now, morally, you know, what's the difference between if you have the decent interval or not or not? If you believe that this was an immoral abandonment of Afghanistan, I'm not sure it makes much difference if if the collapse of the regime happened today or it happened three months or six months from now. But it does seem that the administration hopes that there would be some sort of gap, I think. We don't know. But that's what I think. I also, though, think that you can make the case for an alternative point of view, which is basically that the administration thought the Afghan regime was going to collapse. And knowing that that was going to happen, they wanted it to happen quickly. The reason for that is the... Well, so let let me explain something. So in Afghanistan, the fighting follows usually a, a yearly annual seasonal pattern winters are really really bad in Afghanistan. Winter is not a good time to get around Afghanistan. The condition of the roads is very very bad. So usually the fighting takes place basically in the spring. Kind of between March and April and September October is when the fighting season is in Afghanistan and then the off season is is the rest of the year is the winter. Now if the Biden administration had delayed their withdrawal until next winter, that would have meant that 
this kind of sudden collapse of the regime couldn't have happened because the Taliban wouldn't have been able to launch this offensive. But then it would have meant that this collapse would have happened next fighting season. So next year, somewhere between April and October. Now, what takes place in November of next year? The midterm elections in the United States. And if you were the Biden administration, I think that you would have much rather that this collapse happened now than next year. A year is a long time in politics. It's time for the topic to get changed. It's time for people to move on. So sometimes I I do think that maybe they wanted this to happen quickly. I'm not really sure how much store we can place in these intelligence assessments that are sometimes talked about in the media because you don't know what was in the classified version of that assessment, right? It's not likely that the Biden administration, if if the intelligence agencies were saying, well, as soon as we pull out, the Afghan government's going to collapse within a week or two or a couple of months, you wouldn't release that publicly in intelligence assessment because it just risks becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy that you're going to bring about the collapse of that government quickly by saying how little faith you have in it. So I really do wonder about these intelligence assessments that we hear about in the media. You know, you don't know if the... I think the media characterizes them accurately and honestly, but you don't know what the media doesn't know. You don't know what's in the classified version. So the timing issue here, I think, is is debatable. You know, whether the administration expected this to happen or not. What's undeniable, though, is that if they did expect this to happen, they should have put much, much more effort onto making sure that it happened in a more orderly fashion. They should have put more effort into the processing of refugee applications and visas for Afghanis who need to get out of the country. People who worked for American-backed NGOs, women's rights activists, translators for the American military, the the process of, of helping these people get out of the country has not been satisfactory at all. And more time would have allowed more time to to do that properly, to do right by these people. And that hasn't happened. And I think that's a real stain on the Biden administration. You're listening to America Explained, a podcast about the United States for an international audience. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, tell a friend, and leave a positive review on your podcast platform. Okay, so another issue that you're going to hear debated a lot, we're already hearing been debated a lot, is basically, was this necessary? Did this have to happen? I think that the best argument that people make about basically to say that that Biden should not have pulled out of Afghanistan is the one which says that, well, the American presence in Afghanistan had become very low cost It was basically a few thousand troops. It wasn't costing that much money. American troops hadn't been dying in Afghanistan in in large numbers. So basically that commitment could have stayed indefinitely. So, you know, America has thousands of troops in Korea. It has thousands of troops in Germany and they've been there for an awfully long time. So why couldn't there have just been left this kind of residual amount of troops in Afghanistan to hold the Taliban at bay? Now, I think this argument is is actually really wrong. And the reason that it's wrong is that it might have appeared that this very small American force was keeping the Taliban at bay, but that's not actually what was happening at all. 
what was happening is that over the last few years, due to the Trump administration, which began this process of negotiating a withdrawal from Afghanistan, the Taliban have much preferred to wait for the Americans to leave. So the Americans have been committed to the, this peace process that was taking place in Doha. They've been promising to leave, talking about when they're going to leave. And if you're the Taliban, sure, that, that's not the moment that you're going to choose to launch a massive nationwide offensive while American air power, while American special forces soldiers are still there in the country. If they, if you know they're going to leave, you wait for them to leave. But we have to consider what would have happened if the US wasn't committed to this process of leaving. If it wasn't committed to negotiating an end to the conflict or an end as far as America was concerned and, and a withdrawal, what would have obviously happened then is that the Taliban would have been forced to launch this offensive because from their point of view, they want to win the war. They're not just going to not do that because America is still there. There's no way that these 3,000 troops and American air power alone could have stopped this offensive. So America would have been faced with the option of basically escalating again, sending another surge of forces in, just like Barack Obama had to when he didn't want to, sending more air power back, basically ramping up the conflict again at a big cost in American lives in order to keep, to keep the Taliban at bay. You don't get anything in warfare if you're not willing to put the lives of your soldiers on the line. So even though it has looked like the choices that America had were basically keep this basically cost-free presence in Afghanistan and win the conflict, keep the Taliban out of power, or withdraw and everything falls apart, that isn't really the choice that, that we were looking at here. We were looking at basically having to escalate again at some point or giving the country over to the Taliban. And the Biden administration decided that it did not want to escalate the conflict again. And I think that that's also where the American people are on this issue as well, if, if you look at public opinion polls. So escalation would have been necessary. The Biden administration didn't want to do that. It didn't want to be fighting the Taliban for the next 20 years up and down Afghanistan. So it decided to pull out. And that's why this this argument that that you know the presence had become low cost it really doesn't stand up because it doesn't take into account what would have happened if the Americans had said well we're here forever because that doesn't mean that the Taliban are just going to give up it means that they're going to launch their offensives and America's going to have to respond in a much much bigger and more costly way what you're really looking at here with what's happening right now this isn't the result of of failures and mistakes over the last week or the last month or the last year. This is the failure of decades of failed nation building. The Kabul regime was like something that needed, it was only kept operating by an American power source. And as soon as that power source was unplugged, the lights have just gone off straight away. And what that tells you is that this kind of decades-long process that America has been engaged in, trying to build legitimate, effective governing institutions in Afghanistan, it just has not worked. Nation building is like the exit strategy for a conflict like this. The American public and American administrations were not going to tolerate having to fight the Taliban themselves for decades and decades and decades. They did it for two decades, a tremendously long time. They're not going to do it for 30 years or 50 years or 100 years. So nation building was the ultimate strategy. That was the exit plan here. 
the Americans would fight the Taliban until the Afghan regime, this government in Kabul, was able to do that themselves, able to hold the Taliban at bay themselves. And if that hasn't worked after 20 years and trillions of dollars, there's really no reason to think that another 5 years or another 10 years would have made much difference. So if you want to believe that America should have stayed in Afghanistan, you have to face not just the fact that repeated escalation and repeated heavy intensive fighting by the United States would have been necessary to keep the Taliban out of power, but also that there was really never any hope that the Afghan government was going to be able to take over that task and actually allow for Americans to leave. So you really were faced here with the option between a relentless, endless American commitment and what we're seeing right now. Now, despite this logic and despite the fact that actually the last three presidents all thought broadly the same thing, Obama came into office wanting to get the US out of Afghanistan, Trump came into office wanting to get the US out of Afghanistan, he really kicked off the, the, the negotiations and the process that got us to this point that we're at today, Biden came into office wanting to get the US out of Afghanistan. So despite the fact that there's been this, this really kind of tremendous bipartisan agreement about this issue... The precise way that it's unfolded has still been really shocking. The speed with which it's happened, the appearance of complete incompetence on the part of the Biden administration, the appearance of not knowing what was going to happen has still been really shocking. And that's going to have a political fallout. Of course, we all know that politics is, is never, people are never consistent in their criticisms, right? So plenty of Republicans who supported Trump and what he was doing in Afghanistan and now obviously going to criticize Biden, they're gonna tear him to pieces over what's happening right now. And I think that the, the way this has unfolded means that there's, there's two issues here. The first is what you and the American public actually think about a continued American presence in Afghanistan and continued involvement in, in Afghanistan. And then there's now this separate political issue of just the appearance of how badly this has been handled and what that says about the Biden administration's competence, what it says about America's power and prestige and competence in the world. And so the question obviously arises, well, what, what political fallout is this going to have? The Biden administration is hard at work spinning this in every way they can. I've heard I've heard a few lines that they've come out with. They seem really keen to emphasize that what we're seeing now isn't the same as what happened in Vietnam. But let me tell you, if if your talking point has to be, don't worry, this isn't another Vietnam. This isn't like the the horrible end of that conflict. Then you're already on the defensive. And frankly, this does look a lot like the end of the Vietnam War. It does look a lot like those scenes that we're all familiar with of helicopters on the roof of the U.S. Embassy ferrying out panicked diplomats and Vietnamese, this has a very, very similar feeling to it. Another line that the Biden administration is coming out with is that they're basically trying to say, well, this is what we planned, we knew this was going to happen. That also, I mean, if this is what they planned, then they planned it really, really badly because the way that this has happened has not been good for the United States. They're also trying to say that this is Trump's fault, that basically he committed the United States to this peace process, he committed the US to this timetable of withdrawal. That's completely true. Trump did do that. But, you know, the 
Biden has been president now for, let me count, seven months. If he'd wanted to change what he inherited from Trump, it would have been quite easy to do that. Trump was famously had a very slipshod, a very shoddy national security decision-making process. His administration was very shady, as we all know. It involved all kinds of weird and kind of marginal individuals. It was not known for its competence. It would have been the easiest thing in the world for Biden to say, well, you know, sorry, what we inherited from Trump is not how we see the world. It's not how we want to do things. So we're going to do things a little bit differently. But they chose not to do that. And Biden is, has made it pretty clear that he completely owns this decision. This is what he wanted to do. Biden put out a statement yesterday that I saw described as cold-blooded. He basically admitted no fault for what was happening. He said that he was doing it for the good of America, for the good of the American people, and he wasn't going to admit fault. He wasn't going to, you know, Biden himself is not is not playing the blame game. He's saying, this is on me. I own this. I think this is a good thing to do. So for other people in the administration to be blaming this on Trump, that, that really doesn't, doesn't work for me. Now, having said all this, this doesn't mean that I believe that the political consequences of this are necessarily going to be that huge. The midterms are over a year away. Most Americans did want this conflict to end. Many, many other things are going to happen between now and the next elections. You know, never mind the next presidential election, which is in 2024. So I'm really not sure that the political consequences of this will become that huge. I think it depends what happens next. If this becomes part of a broader narrative about incompetence in Biden administration foreign policy, then that could definitely hit that could make an impact if we still see some kind of tragedy involving american personnel if some of them are killed during the withdrawal that's kind of reminiscent of benghazi what happened in libya all those years ago then that's something that the republicans are going to fixate on and and really make a big issue of so I still think it's a little bit up in the air what the exact political impact of this is. It's definitely not good for the Biden administration. I, again, going back to the fact that you have to separate now the issue of whether you believe that ending this war was a good thing from the way that it's been done. And nobody can defend the way that it's been done. And the only real question is how much that's on Americans' minds next time they go to the voting booth, I think. <laughs> You're listening to America Explained, a podcast about American politics, foreign policy, and culture for an international audience. Like it? Then tell a friend and help us grow. The final issue that's on everyone's mind tonight and is going to stay on their minds over the coming days is what's the foreign policy fallout of this? What does this mean for American national security? I think that there are two main issues here. One is the future terrorist threat to the United States. How much does the Taliban takeover of Afghanistan mean that the US is at more risk and indeed US allies are at more risk? of big terrorist attacks. Obviously, the, the reason this war started was 9-11, the most audacious terrorist attack in modern history. And everyone is wondering, are we going to see more of that? Does this mean that there's more of that in our future? The second issue is to do with the broader credibility of the United States. So does this spectacle mean that other adversaries, other enemies of the US, 
thinking of Russia, thinking of China, are going to see America as weak and they're going to push for gains and be aggressive in, in their own regions. So I'll take these in turn. To start by talking about the terrorist threat, this is a big unknown to me. It's clear that as a result of the Taliban takeover of Afghanistan, a lot of people who are dangerous to the United States and, and its allies are going to be at large again. Just as I'm recording this, it was reported that the Taliban have taken over Bagram Air Base. There's a prison there with about five to 7,000 of what the US and, and the Kabul regime considered to be the most dangerous and the hardcore prisoners many of them associated with, with Al-Qaeda. But despite this, it's not clear to me that the Taliban are going to return to the kind of stance that they had prior to 9-11 vis-a-vis Al-Qaeda and associated groups. You have to look at how badly that worked out for them last time. You know, they sponsored Al-Qaeda, they allowed them to be present in Afghanistan and to plan 9-11, and the next thing you know, the Taliban are out of power for 20 years and many or most, if not all, of that generation are dead. So I'm not sure that we can necessarily say that the Taliban are suddenly going to go back to churning out international terrorists who are targeting the United States. That's not a rational thing for them to do. And of course, you can debate how rational you think the Taliban are. I would argue that you don't build this kind of insurgent movement that has this kind of overwhelming success without being pretty oriented towards your own survival and, and the things that help your own survival. So it's a big question to me what actually the Taliban's stance towards international terrorism will be in the future. It's also the case that US counterterrorism is completely different. It's revolutionized since before 9-11. There's now this vast, enormous national security bureaucracy, everything ranging from the TSA, the scanners at airports, all the security at airports, to drones, to surveillance, all of this stuff that, that the US has focused on terrorist threats abroad that have has been very successful at preventing a large-scale international terrorist action against the US since 9-11. It's not clear to me how much the, you know, the addition of one more place in which terrorists can plan their attacks is going to change U.S. Re resilience and undermine U.S. resilience. There's already plenty of places in the world where terrorist groups can plot and plan. There's plenty of places in the world where the U.S. is involved in militarized counterterrorism against these threats. Afghanistan will become another one of those places. And the marginal impact of having another one of these places on top of others is, is unclear to me. So it's not really, it's not clear, I think, at this point at all what the threat coming from Afghanistan will be. And we should also bear in mind that the people who are telling us how bad this threat will be are the people who seem to have got a lot of other things very wrong about the Taliban today and about this offensive and about the situation in Afghanistan, because they've been very surprised by what's just happened. So I'm agnostic on this question, and I think we have to wait to see what happens. The, the other issue is potentially much more serious, and it's about credibility. So you will often hear the argument that basically what's just happened means that US credibility has been very undermined. Everyone's going to think that Biden is a weak president, that America is a declining country, 
Russia and China can go now and, 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 and do what they want. You know, China can invade Taiwan, Russia can invade the Baltics, or they'll think that they can anyway because they don't believe that the US will respond and it's no longer credible. US assurances to defend its allies are no longer credible. I don't find this argument very convincing at all, to be frank, for a couple of reasons. One is that there's really no analogy between the situation in Afghanistan and the situation, say, in China or Russia's immediate neighborhood. It's well understood and indeed frequently argued by the people who want to withdraw from Afghanistan that they want to recommit to guaranteeing the security of American allies in Europe and Asia. And that's one reason they want to end the war in Afghanistan. Afghanistan is pretty clearly understood to be peripheral to American interests, whereas the security of East Asia, the security of Europe, are understood to be core American interests. And you just can't draw an analogy between the two unless, you know, you're not really thinking about this very deeply. And Russia and China do think about these things very deeply. They understand there's a big difference between America having spent 20 years trying to defend a client state in Afghanistan and deciding enough is enough because there's not really any huge threat to American security interests emanating from Afghanistan. That's very different to the US commitment to NATO or the US commitment to its East Asian allies. You can even argue that Biden has kept his promises. This makes it look like he's a man who keeps his promises. He campaigned on ending the war in Afghanistan, and he's done that despite the fact this is going to come at a domestic political cost to him. This is going to be costly for him politically at home because he's going to get attacked by the Republicans for it, and yet he was still willing to do it. That makes him look like a man, perhaps, who keeps his promises, does what he says he's going to do, even if it's difficult for him to do that. So I think you can even argue that this, in a way, might have increased his personal credibility vis-a-vis Russia, vis-a-vis China, even if you disagree with the specific action in Afghanistan. But I think Dan Dresner, who's a professor of international relations at the Fletcher School in the US, very prominent expert on US foreign policy, he made the point that what has been harmed here is really the US reputation for competence. So US credibility as a competent country, a country that handles foreign policy challenges well, has definitely been undermined by what we've seen unfolding over the last week or two. I think when you add to the fact that Trump had done an awful lot to undermine the American reputation for competence already, and Biden's appeal, the the thing that he offered American allies and also that he offered voters at home, was supposed to be a return to predictability, a return to competence in foreign policy decision making. And that's really not what we've seen in the execution of this at all. So there is a risk that this makes the Biden administration look chaotic, like it doesn't really know what it's doing in foreign policy. And that could be problematic. I don't think that that's going to be enough for Russia and China to suddenly decide to do something big and bold and disruptive, but it could have consequences in in ways that we perhaps can't foresee. 
So there you go. Those are just my quick points on what we've seen happen in Afghanistan over the last couple of days. We're going to see much more happen, I, I know, in coming weeks. And I'm going to return to this, this question. I know I always say I'm going to return to questions and, and usually I do. I'll return to this one in the near future because probably a lot is going to happen even between when you listen to this episode and when I recorded it. But thanks for listening. Remember, as I always say, please feel free to follow me on Twitter. You can do that at Andy Gort. That's at A-N-D-Y-G-A-W-T. Or you can drop me a line, producer at america-explained.com. Let me know what you thought of this episode. So thanks very much, and I'll see you next time. That's all we have time for this episode. Thanks for listening to America Explained. You can contact us on producer at america-explained.com or through the America Explained Facebook page. I'm your host, Andy Gawthorpe. Designer and advisor is Janice Killian. Music by Soundwave. America Explained is an APD media production. See you next time.